Turn in your Bible, if you would please, to the book of John, chapter 19, and the book of Luke, chapter 23, the crucifixion of Christ. I'd like to talk to you today about the crucifixion of Christ. Now, I'm sure I could preach on self-help sermon this morning to help you get over what you're going through, but I'll tell you, you'd be a lot better off getting over where you're going if you don't get saved. Uh, we still believe in the old-fashioned gospel. We believe that the power of God under salvation is the gospel. We believe that people still get saved. So I want you to take a look at just a couple of scriptures. Then I'm going to pose to you five questions concerning the event. You don't have to answer them and you don't have to raise your hand. I'm just going to give you the question and try to give you the answer. The Bible says in John 19 and verse number 16, you know, I had some backslider tell me he was flying back from Hawaii this week. And he is watching our services. I'll tell you, anybody that rides that plane that long and that cramped up needs to watch something. I think the last time I went through great tribulation, I was on that dumb airplane come back to my wife. Boy, I just love that. I've been crippled ever since. So, Brother Hufford, thank God you're watching it on television. The Bible said, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth unto a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where when they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. The crucifixion of our Lord. I read for you now out of the book of Luke, chapter number 23. And I begin reading in verse 32. And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to a place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Verse 39. And one of the male factors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. A lot of doctrine 
is refuted in those verses. A lot of false doctrine is refuted in these verses. If you can go to heaven apart from Christ, God made the biggest mistake in the eons of time and eternity. If one person can get to heaven without Jesus Christ, then God blew it. His son died in vain. The crucifixion of our Lord. There's a lot of Christianity today that leaves the crucifixion out. And a lot of churches today don't preach too much on Calvary, blood redemption. In fact, we've taken the blood out of our songbooks. I'd like to pose you five questions real quick. Just five questions as a result of these verses. The first question I would like to ask you today what did Jesus have in common with these two thieves? I know you've probably asked that question several times. Why was Jesus? Why was it necessary to say two thieves? Male factor. One on the right, one on the left. I know you've probably asked that question several times. And I think the answer is found in two things. Number one, they all three were nailed to a cross. Now, they wasn't tied. They were nailed to the cross. Imagine, if you would please, Rough, flat, crude, huge nails. Through his wrist. Through his feet. One thing they all had in common, they were all nailed to a cross. We have it so tough, do we not? We suffer so much for our Lord. After all, we've given up two hours this morning. God knows, let's not go tonight. We might miss the ball game. Second thing he had in common with them, they were all dying the most horrific, horrible death known to man at that time. Why? What did he have in common with these two thieves on the cross? Have you ever thought of it? Question number two I'd like to ask you, and it's a 25 till. 
I'll keep you informed all along. Because <laughs> I'm real hungry today. Second question, how do we know that he is on the cross between two thieves? Luke calls them malefactors. Malefactors, losers, outcasts, no gooders. Matthew 27, verse 38, calls them thieves. Why in the world was Jesus Christ crucified? You don't hear much about the thieves. Wonder why we don't have three crosses around our neck. See, the cross is an instrument of punishment not an instrument to keep the vampires out. The cross was capital punishment. It was a Roman electric chair. It was crude. It was horrible. It was, it was absolutely astounding. It was, but yet, two feet. Without a question, the Bible says that he was crucified between two thieves, two malefactors. Question number three, is it significant? Is it important that there be a thief on the right hand and a thief on the left? What's significant about that? Why do we need two thieves and Jesus being crucified in the middle? Answer is, there is no accidents in a world where God is in control. And God said in the Old Testament that he would be make his death with the wicked. Two thieves. I am so glad that the most important day in history, the day that our Lord died, the day our Lord paid for every sin in the world, the day the Lord said, if you'll take this message, my atonement, go into all the world and everybody that receives it can be saved, that is the most important day in history. Listen. I am glad that God was in control. Nobody slipped up on God. God had it all planned out. The most important day in history, and God was there and had it all planned out. God planned when his son would die, where his son would die, how his son would die, and with whom his son would die. No accident. Regardless of what King uh, Herod thought, regardless of what Pilate might have said, regardless of what the centurion might have thought, regardless of what Caesar and all of Rome might have desired, God was in control. And just like God said, there'd be a thief on one side, a thief on the other side, and it happened as sure 
as God created little green apples. In fact, before Jesus got on the cross, he planted the tree that the cross would be made from. Before Pilate ever said, go crucify him, Jesus Christ and God Almighty had picked out the exact spot that the hole would be dug at Mount Calvary. There is no accidents with a God that is in complete control. Are you glad of that? Well, say amen then, some of you folk. Amen, man. I'm glad God's in control. Why was it significant? God said it would. That makes it significant. God said it would be like that. Now, if you'll just build your faith a little bit, God said a lot of stuff here is going to come to pass. Uh, I believe that the God of this book is big enough to take care of me. I believe that, that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we think or ask. Can you say amen? Somebody said, Preacher, we're going to fire you. Good luck. What will you do if we fire you? Nothing. I'll just let God take care of me like he has done, had been for 75 years. I'll just trust God and let you have a miserable breakdown trying to hurt me. <laughs> Amen. God leaves nothing to chance. You are not just, you did not just stumble in here this morning. You said, you don't understand. Somebody asked me to come. No, you don't understand. Way back yonder, before you were ever a gleam in your daddy's eye, God knew you'd be here this morning listening to this sermon. And you are responsible for your response to God's call to salvation. Five questions. Is it significant that he is crucified between two thieves? Well, I think so, since nothing is left to chance and God is controlled. Let me give, did you know that 700 years before the cross, Isaiah said that he would be numbered with the transgressors. 700 years before Jesus ever got on a cross. 700 years before our Lord was ever born. 700 years the Old Testament prophesied of his crucifixion. And I thank God that all the word of God is true. The Bible said in Psalms 119 verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Aren't you glad of that? Yes, sir. Just as God ordained, just as God announced, so it came to pass, and there was a thief on one side, the thief on the other side, and the Lord in the middle. Fourth question. Why did God order it that his beloved son should be crucified between two thieves? Why did God order that that way? Why would God put the only perfect individual that has ever graced the face of the earth, he who was tempted in all fashions such as us, and yet without sin, 
33 and a half years he lived on this earth. And even at his death, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Why would God so order it that the sinless Son of God die between two horrific sinners? You say, preacher, I never asked myself that question. Well, good, I just ask it for you. Did God just let that happen, or did God have a reason to put his son, the sinless one, dying between two horrific sinners? Sinners worthy of capital punishment, death by crucifixion. Why did God so order that? I thought about that all week long. And all I can come up with is two reasons, maybe. I don't know if they're the only reasons or not. But I remembered in his birth, he was surrounded by the beast of the field. Was he not born in a stable? Surrounded by the beast of the field. And in his death, surrounded by the beast of humanity. Maybe God put him in the middle of those two wicked sinners so that he could identify with we who are sinners. Maybe a high priest that can feel the hurt and the infirmities of our emotions and our feelings. Maybe he hangs there listening to the screams and feeling the pain. Maybe God Almighty chose to put him in the middle of those two sinners that he might identify with we who are terrible sinners. And then, the second reason, I think, is maybe they put him there between those two sinners because he was acting as our substitute. One of the, one of the thieves recognized that he was not dying for his own sins because he said he's done nothing amiss. And that one thief recognized that he was not dying for Jesus' sins, that Jesus was dying for his sins. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin that is ever committed by every person that has ever lived on Calvary. God judged every sin that has ever or will ever be committed. God judged sin in his son.
And God treated his son as if he had committed every sin that had ever been sinned on this earth. And treats us as if we had never sinned. I've got four words I wrote down. Did you get that? Did you get that? We do not have to pay for our sins. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left its crimson stain, but his blood washed it white as snow. God treated Jesus on that cross as if he committed every sin that was ever committed, though he never committed one of them. That's the great doctrine of substitution. I'm glad he took my place. That leads to the great doctrine of imputation. Imputed righteousness. You see, on that cross, God imputed all of my sins to Jesus. And in turn, he imputed all of Jesus' righteousness to me. By faith. Should I go to God today and ask Him to forgive me of a sin? And God would say, Which one? I don't remember any of them. Because when you got saved, I threw your sins behind my back, never to look at them again. I hit them as far as the east is from the west, and there's no pole in that direction. He said, I've thrown them into the deep part of the sea, never to bring them up again. Kevin, when you got saved, God took all of your sins, put them on his dear son on the cross, and he took that righteous life of Christ and put them to your account. That's what it means to be saved. You say, look what I did. If you did anything, you ain't got it. You talk about a bad trade. Him trading his sins for Jesus' righteousness, our Lord got burnt. You talk about a raw deal of all raw deals. And when Jesus Christ took our sins and gave us his righteousness, that's the raw deal of all raw deals. The best deal I've ever made was the night 49 years ago when I fell on my knee and slid off my couch in my living room in Farmer's Branch, Texas and said, Dear God, if you can save a sorry, hell-bound sinner like me, do it. I want to be saved. 
And God piled all of my sins on his son and all the righteousness of Christ on me. You say, you don't look so righteous. Well, you need your eyes saved. Man, that ought to make a Methodist shout. Amen. Why did God order it? That his beloved son should be crucified between two thieves. Because he was identifying with sinners. Because he was substituting his righteousness for their sin. Last question. It's six minutes till twelve. This has bothered me for years. I thought I'd just get off my chest since I'm 75. And if you get 75 and still walking, you ought to be able to get something off your chest. When Jesus came into the world, why did he have to live 30 years on this earth before he went to Calvary and atoned for all of our sins? If I had a planned redemption, Jesus would have come on Friday, died on Saturday, rose on Sunday, and we'd live ever after because he went back to heaven on Monday. If I'd have planned it. Why did he live 30 years on this earth before he went to Calvary to pay for my sin. Why 30 years? I know that's never bothered you, but it's bothered me. It don't take a lot to bother me. Jesus had to live those 30 years without sin that he could be the sinless Lamb of God. Without spot and without blemish. And that when he died on the cross, he would not be dying for his own sins, but for 30 years he lived without sin. And he could take that righteous, holy life to Calvary and there have it crucified to pay for your sinful life with his sinless life. Thirty years he lived perfect, absolutely sinless. Now get this. And on the cross, God treated Jesus as if Jesus had lived your life. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived like you lived. So that you might have the life that you could not live that he lived. Hallelujah. Bless God. And that's the good news of the gospel. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us. Thank God for mercy, amen? Kind of like that fellow down in Mississippi got arraigned in court for stealing watermelons. And I'm telling you, he was one nervous 
fella, is there anybody in here who ever stole watermelon? We're going to give an invitation in a minute. Please raise your hand. The only guy on staff, oh, there's one that just turned 70. He stole watermelon. Mama, watch these guys. They'll be in our, in our garden. Sure the world. Oh, well, we always borrowed watermelons, to tell you the truth. When I was a kid, that's what we used to do. Me and my cousin was borrowing watermelons one night, and he lost his wallet in the watermelon packs. Asked me if I confessed to helping him. No, I did not. I said, I haven't seen Stud in probably 10 years. If you're going to steal watermelon, might as well lie about it. You're welcome. Some of you guys need to stand up straight. Your halo's crooked. You know why Jesus died on the cross? You watermelon stealing thieves. That's why he died on the cross. On Calvary, three men. Three men nailed to a cruel, vicious, crude cross. Three men dying, horrific, terrible, terrible, indescribable deaths. Three men dying, deaths so horrible that we cannot even with tongue explain it and with mind imagine it. Three men on a cross before nightfall will be ushered in to eternity. Three men gone. Have you ever thought about this? It's two minutes till twelve. First look at it, just a minute. The thieves and their sins. The Bible called them male factors in verse 32. Matthew 27 calls them thieves. Male factor, evildoers. One on the right, one on the left. Guilty lawbreakers. Facing the wrath of man on the cross in just a few hours to face the wrath of God in hell. the thieves, and their sins. And my Bible said, be sure your sins will find you out. Somebody said, a lot don't have to worry about me. I'm not a sinner for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every man has turned to his own way. May I say, we like those thieves are steeped in our sin. And we may not be judged in society's court, but if we don't get saved, we'll be judged in God Almighty's court. Because I read one day and I saw a great white throne and he who sat upon it, from whose face the heavens and the earth fled away and there were found no place for them. 
And the sea gave up the dead when it, and death and hell delivered up the dead with him. And they were judged according to their works out of the books. And a book would open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And they were judged out of those things that were written in those books. And death and hell delivered the dead with him. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Oh, you say, preacher, I'm not a thief, but you are a sinner. And just like he died between two thieves, he died for every thief in this building. And I'm glad he did. Amen. Glory to God and hallelujah to the Lamb. He died for a sinner like me. You do not have to fall into hell and listen to the groans and moans and torrent of, of, of persecuted and tormented Souls forever. You don't have to do that. He took your place. He suffered all the hell you need to suffer. All you've got to do is accept him by faith. And when you do that, God takes his righteous life and applies it to your account. And takes our sinful life and imputes it to count. The thieves and their sin. Please be patient with me. The thieves and their sentence. I do not have the verbiage, the vocabulary, or the understanding to explain to you what crucifixion would be. I, I, I don't. Would you be so kind to grant me about a minute and allow me to read for you the unimaginable, cruel death on a cross. Their sentence. Three of them are hanging there. Three of them are mentioned in God's Word. But Rome crucified thousands and thousands of people on a Roman cross. But for our learning, God has put three of them in his book. Crucifixion. The condemned person was laid flat on a heavy piece of wood called a patribulum. That's the cross this way. It weighed approximately 125 pounds, just the patibulum. A heavy square wrought iron spikes were then nailed deep in one wrist and deep into the woods. Now, I don't have corporal tunnel, but I have corporal tunnel. The doctor says my hands don't hurt. But I tell the doctors, they hurteth. That's King James. They hurteth. And every once in a while, I feel a, a pain so sharp. It makes my hand, sometimes I just slap ginger back in there like that. Because the pain just shoots from here down to the palm of my hand. And, and, and it hurts so bad. But I'm glad it hurts. That means they're still feeling in it. 
Imagine, if you would, please. Right about there. Not there. But in the wrist. Not the hand. Huge, crude, square spikes. Been driven. Pounding the hammer. Through the wrist and deep into the wood. The left hand is secured to this cross. And then the other hand is nailed secured to the cross, leaving enough room for a little bit of freedom. The pterium is lifted high into a slot with the stake and the crossbeam is slid securely in the slot according to the reading. And then the left foot is turned backwards over the right foot and a crude, huge spike is driven through the palm or the instep of both feet in to the wood. You say, this is grotesque. This is crude. I come to church to be blessed, not to be psyched out. Now, at this state, the victim is thoroughly crucified. Arms outstretched, secured by two huge nails, feet secured by a nail. The victim slowly sags down, the writing says, placing more weight on the nails on the wrist. I don't know if you can imagine, I can't imagine how much that must have hurt. This caused a paralyzing pain, the writer says, to be shot to the brain where it explodes in an absolute horrific pain. The victim would be trying to remove that pain by lifting himself up. But the nails on the feet hurt just as bad as the nails in the wrist. Hanging by the arms, the tore muscles are paralyzed, and the coastal muscles were unable to act. Thus, air could not be drawn in the lung thusly leaving the victim to suffocate if he could not lift himself up to get oxygen and to exhale the oxygen. Can you imagine hanging there, suffocating in your own blood? Now, why did he do that? Do you have any idea why he did that? 
We suffer so much. I feel so sorry for us. Can you imagine how fatigued the arms and the legs must become? Hanging by the arms. Victim must fight to raise himself to take even a small, shallow breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds in the lungs and the bloodstream and cramps partially subside. With great effort, the victim is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-given oxygen. Oh, by the way, Jesus did that seven times. And every time he did, he spoke. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And he sagged again. Finally, he raised himself up and said, It's finished. Sagged again. All of this continued at crucifixion till finally dehydration and blood loss resulted in death. The writer says, in many cases, crucifixion lasted several days. Several days. Most victims, they say, went completely insane before they actually succumbed to their injuries. That was their sentence. I close with the thieves and their sorrow. Luke chapter 16 says, In hell, he licked up his eyes, being in torment. Here are two thieves dying. Their future is bleak. I'm sure they've heard about the rich man in Luke chapter 16. I'm sure that somewhere along the line they had heard these words, and the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb of God. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and there's no rest day or night. These guys hanging on the cross, their future is bleak. For whosoever is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Notice verse 39 of the book of Luke. It says, and one. Yeah. Luke, verse 39, and one of the male factors, one of the thieves, one of those who's dying, he dies foolishly. 
He dies all by himself. He dies with all the answers. He dies leaving everything you'd worked for here. He dies leaving everything you'd stole and everybody you'd gypped out of. He died a fool. Remember the Bible said Jesus looked at that guy that had all the wealth and all of his goods, and he said, Now tonight thy soul shall be required of thee, thou fool. Then who shall those things be? One thief died a fool. How will you die? Will somebody have to lie about how you live? At your funeral? Will your family have to beg a preacher, please tell everybody he's saved? Make everybody feel good about you because you died a fool. You don't want anybody to know that you knew it. But one guy died a fool. Now, if you go through Joshua faster than 45 miles an hour, you're a fool. Because there's signs everywhere telling you it ain't 50 miles an hour. I can tell you what the speed limit is in front of the brewery up there. It's 60. Ask me how much that costs. And now when I go down the freeway, I'm doing 60. Boy, they're passing me just right and left. I said, look how many fools are on this highway. Now, if you go 75 through Parker County on Interstate 20, you'll be passing me going 65, and I'll be saying, Hello, fool! And if you die without Christ, you're the biggest fool of all. One of the male factors began to rail on him and said, If thou be Christ, save thyself from us. Notice the other. I want to be the other. Somehow or another, in closing, this fellow saw something about that guy on that middle cross that he'd never seen before. He put him on the throne. Now, he was on a cross, but the guy on the cross put Jesus on the throne because he called him Lord. You like that? He put him on the throne. He called him Lord. He was going to be the king in his own kingdom, David's kingdom, Lord. Remember me when thou comest into what? See, that guy on on this cross here, he is the other guy. He's not the one who's a fool. He's a guy who recognized that the guy on the middle cross is something special. He realized that Jesus was not dying for his sins, but Jesus is dying for the thief's sins. And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Did you read the rest of the story? And Jesus said unto him, Today thou shalt be with me. Anybody know where? Now, where would you rather spend eternity? Paradise 
or hell. You don't need to be a rocket scientist or a graduated theologian to realize slick, it's just going to be better higher up. <laughs> Amen. So you can join we rednecks and let's all go to heaven together through faith in Jesus Christ. Not how good you are, not how bad you are, not how many good works you got, but by his mercy he saved us. And that's the end of the story.